Thank you for listening to Truth in Life, a concise Christian belief series. This class was taught on a Sunday morning at Christ the Word Church because we believe that God's Word is truth and that His truth should shape our lives. For more information on our church, visit ChristTheWord.com. Okay, so talking about the nature of the church in this module. And last week was week one. We started kicking this module off by discussing, um, sort of broadly speaking, how today the church is viewed. Good morning. Um, How people view the church today. And then we talked about how the Bible speaks about the church. And so we kind of brushed through five different ways in which the term ecclesia is used in the scripture. And that's what we talked about last week. Um, and just, just for your memory, because when we reiterate things, it helps us to remember when we repeat things. Uh, the five different ways are the universal church, the local church, bodies of believers, Christians gathering together for fellowship, um, groups of churches that are within a geographic area, the church in Jerusalem, for instance, or the church as represented by those that are ruling in the church. So we use the, the, the passage that talks about telling it to the church as it telling it to those that are leading, those that are in authority to make judgments. Those five different uses. And we ended by saying that the church is all of those things. You can't just parse it out and say, I want this part and I, I don't want that part. The church is always all of those things. That's the church, the bride that Jesus died for. So, um, we didn't spend much time last week uh, talking about what the church does. Um, We are going to focus a bit on that this week, and we're going to start sort of 10,000-foot view and then go to 5,000-foot view and then kind of go to 2,500-foot view. Um, What the church is and what the church does are very, very closely related to each other, but they're not the same thing. You cannot have one without the other. If you have a church that isn't carrying out the work of a church, the purpose of the church, the task of the church, it calls into question if it's a, if it's a true church. You understand what I'm saying? So what is the task of the church? What's the purpose of the church? What does the church do? That seems like a rhetorical question, doesn't it? <laughs> what are some of the, <laughs> pausing is key. <laughs> so what are some of the things that the church does? Well, the Great Commission. Okay, we'll talk about that. The Great Commission. I'd say, yeah, that's, that's the 5,000-foot view. What are other things the church does, broadly speaking? This is everyone's time to get in an easy answer if you want to. I've got some very hard questions I'm going to ask specific people. Grandpa's trying to get in. He's trying to get on my good side right now. This is my grandfather. (laughs) Okay, discipline. We're going to talk about discipline in in like three weeks. It advances the kingdom. So there's this idea of the kingdom of God, right? The kingdom of God. There's also the kingdom of this world as represented in Scripture, which is and it's a false idea that, that Satan and God are like two little gods and they're battling back and forth. That's, that's, that's a cartoon mentality, 
right? That's not a biblical reality. Um, but yeah, there is the kingdom of God. Okay, yeah, Matt? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we are salt and light, and we represent to the world who he is. Not perfectly, because we all sin. But imperfectly, we are called to represent God to the world. We're to, rep- we're to show the love of Christ to the world, right? Like in Matthew, he, he talks about, he says, you are the light of the world, a city on a hill, and then he brings it in. So he's out here, then he's bringing it in. You are the lamp of your house, and not only okay. to the world. Okay, yeah. And so, then, and then yeah, so it's a narrowing, a focusing in. Okay, yeah. Anything else? Um, Jesus says, don't forsake the assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encourage one another. Okay, yeah, great. We're going to talk more about that at the end of this class, actually. For our mutual edification with other believers as well. Okay, yeah, sure. Anything else? This is the time where we're all just kind of you know, I know it's, it's early and it's cold outside and in here, so we're trying to get some blood flowing and some mental, mental thoughts flowing here. Okay, teach us what the Word says. Okay, teach us what the Word says. Great, yeah. Okay, so there, we've just said a number of various things. We're not going to cover all of them today, but we're going to touch at least on pretty much everything I've heard. Oh, have a there are people in the building. <laughs> yeah, well, right. <laughs> Do you want to answer the call? <laughs> um, there's, a, there's, a, there's, there's a number of things that the church does. Like I said already, we're going to start with a, like a 10,000-foot view and then come down to a 25,000-foot view and then, uh, and then get a little, uh, a little more focused. Um, Broadly speaking, here's the 10,000-foot view. We're not going to spend much time on it. The church, we are to keep the commandments of God. We are to live lives that obey God so that we're able to do a lot of the things that were said here. Like Matt said, represent, be salt and light, right? uh, Vanessa said to be a light to the world, right? A city on a hill, and then it's brought into the house. That's a 10,000-foot view. At a most basic level, we are to obey to obey what God says. The church isn't to, 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 the bride is not to live in rebellion. The bride is to live in harmony with, with, with who she is yoked to, with Christ, right? And so at a very, very broad level, we're to obey the commandments of God. If you love me, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Okay, so now that's 10,000 feet. Has anybody descended very quickly in a plane before? Hopefully this is more, uh, more pleasant than that. But whew, 5,000 feet. We've gone down to 5,000 right now, all right? Um, there are two specific commandments, and my grandfather already alluded to one, and I didn't realize I'd given you the answer on the outline, but he probably knew it already. <laughs> I learned everything I know from him. <laughs> so um, two specific commands amongst all of the commandments of Scripture that are very fundamental to all of us as Christians, as believers. We're going to look at those. They're on the the outline. The first is called 
the cultural mandate or the creation mandate, both terms are used. The second is what my grandfather alluded to, which is the Great Commission. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the creation or the cultural mandate. I want to show you how it is linked to uh, the Great Commission. Because when we as Christians think about, broadly speaking, our role in the church in, the great, in terms of the Great Commission, um, we should also have in, in our minds that the cultural mandate back in Genesis is really linked to the Great Commission. They're very, t very much tied. So I just want to highlight how they are tied for us. Good morning. I'm cold too. <laughs> and um, I want to highlight how they're tied. And then I want to get into uh, where we're actually going to be going is what does the Great Commission look like in the early church? And then we're going to think about um, the preaching of the word. That's the outline. You can see it before you. But that's, that's kind of the... The, the arc we're going to go down, or traverse, or the road we're going to go down, yeah, uh, this morning. So the cultural mandate, creation mandate, is found in Genesis 1.28, right after the story of Adam and Eve being created. And in Genesis 1.28, it says this, God blessed them, and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So, <clears throat> there it, oh wow, I hate, I hate front and back pages. <laughs> but thankfully, I put page numbers on them, so this class is going to stay intact. <laughs> okay, so this is especially important because this is the initial command that God gave to the human race, this cultural mandate, this creation mandate. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and to subdue it. The first command that God gave to the whole human race, but who did he give it to? The whole human race at this point was, come on, think with me. Adam and Eve, right? Yeah, two people. But the whole human race and representatives for all of us. This is the task of the world. And I just want to quickly break down this, this mandate, this command, uh, in, 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 into three different parts. The first part here is there is a blessing from God. This is a blessing, from, it's a divine blessing. It is not a burdensome rule. This is, this is before sin, right? This is not a burdensome rule that you have to just suck it up and follow along with. This is a blessing from the hand of God. He's going to go on. We didn't read it, but if you read just a few more verses in Genesis, um, it goes on to say that he saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good, and there was evening and morning the sixth day. So just after he gives this command, he's observing the work of his hands and sort of the... the the greatest of his created works, which was man in his image, right? And he's happy. He saw that it was very good. And this, this blessing comes out of God being pleased. Okay, so there's a divine blessing. And then if we go on, um, there are commands in this as well. One is to have children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and to fill the earth. That's the first part. Now, keep in mind that 
that this mandate was given before the fall. So this mandate anticipates, so if you're thinking, okay, this is given before the fall, if we play that, that idea, that the, the command out, what that command anticipates is a world filled with men and women that are eager to do the will of God, who love him, who are devoted to him, who worship him. You guys with me on that? You understand what I'm saying? To fill the earth with men and women that love Jesus Christ, love God, that walk with him as Adam did in the garden. The third command, then, or the, the third thing, the third element, um, yeah, there's a blessing and then there's a command to, to fill, and then there's the, the, the third part, which is to subdue the earth, to have dominion over it. Um, what does it mean to subdue the earth? What does it mean? Mark, what do you think it means to subdue the earth? Okay, to take control over it. Does anyone want to add anything to that? Yeah, Octavio? To make it flourish, okay. Okay, yeah, great. All those things. So we read about the aqueducts that Solomon devised in his mind and the way he integrated all that stuff in Israel and how he was the wisest man who ever lived and that the queen of Sheba wanted to come. Yes, okay, yeah. Okay, yeah, that's, that's a great point. We're going to touch on that in just a minute. So she's, she said it's all to be done to the glory of God. So it's, it, is, it is a taking and it, basically you remember that the Garden of Eden was a specific uh, geolo- geographical area. Do you remember that? The way we know that is that they were kicked out of it, right? And they weren't sent to Mars. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so they're kicked out of the... E- I'm with you. I'm with you. Uh, oh, I was waiting to see if we have any conspiracy theorists come out of the concrete here. Uh, um, so we know that they were kicked out of Eden. There were angels that were placed at the entrance with the swords, right? And they were no longer able to enter. And you sh- we should always remember this when we read that they were to go out and subdue the earth. The one way I like to think about it is they were to make the whole world like Eden, right? God put them in the midst of this beautiful garden. There's obviously an end to that garden. And he says part of their work before the fall, is to move outward from the garden and to beautify and to subdue the earth. And, but, as you said, to the glory of God. And that's, that's an important point. Well, in, in Ezekiel, it talks about they had idols. The, Israelis, the Israel people, the Jewish people, whatever. In Ezekiel, they had idols, and he talked to the land. Hmm. He's talking about the blood in the land because of the <clears throat> worship that is wrong. Sure, and we, that language, she's saying that, that our sin affects even the land, and we know that, that the scripture says that creation groans awaiting the redemption God has in store for it. So God is, God is going to resurrect our bodies and give us new bodies, but he's also creating a new heavens and a new earth. Remember that. God is not a God who doesn't care about material things. We don't believe in a God that doesn't care about the body, that doesn't care about anything physical. There is spiritual realities, but they're, they're tied intricately 
inseparably with the physical, right? We don't have a, a soul. We have a soul and a body, but we don't live making distinctions between our soul and our body, right? Okay, thank you. Um, <clears throat> so there's these three things. To recap, God's blessing. There's a command to fill, and there's a command to subdue the land, okay? I'm, I'm working here to draw lines between this creation mandate and the Great Commission. Uh, these elements are striking because they are the pattern that we will see again and again throughout the whole of Scripture in the covenants that God makes with his people. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, we read about God's dealing with Noah and with Abraham and with Moses and with David and, then, and others along the way, all the way to Jesus and in the midst of all of these relationships, we would call them covenant relationships with these, with these men in the scripture, there's always these elements present. And I don't know if you've realized that before. There's always these three elements we've talked about. There's always a promise from God. There's always a command about how we are to live regarding our seed, our offspring, how we are to train and raise our children, right? Always expectation regarding the children of those that come into his covenants. And there's always a, a command about, we're, we're still fulfilling the command with the land. God gives his na na nation a promised land to live in, and that comes with requirements, right? And then if we think about the great commission, go into all the world, like this, this, this mandate is continuing on in the great commission. That's what I'm trying to help us to see. Any questions? I, I titled them just a promise from God, um, a seed, like, you know, we're to, we're to go on, right, to be fruitful and multiply, and then to subdue the land. So there's this element of land. And we're going, obviously, to the new heavens and the new earth. So there's a lot of connections here. I'm not pulling them all apart for you, I know that, but what I hope to do is just, like, everyone, anyone ever get a snag in your sweater? It's really annoying. Yeah, and you always think about it when you put it on. Okay, that's kind of what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to snag your sweater on these ideas so that as you read the Bible for yourselves, you can think about it. All right? Yeah. Um, I would maybe... Better what I've said. Get ready for it. Here we go. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and we're getting to the correction. We're going to talk about that right now in terms of the Great Commission. So the second major command from God is the Great Commission. That's sort of like a, you, you ever think about like a bookcase and having ends, you know, what do you call those things? Bookends, right? One is, the, I, I think about the crea creation mandate being one bookend and the Great Commission sort of being the other bookend or the analog in the New Testament. So these things are kind of like a, a one of those things at a playground that goes up and down like this. Teeter-totter, that's right, yeah. 
That's your question answered. Yes. <laughs> Great. Check it off. There we go. <laughs> Jesus came and spoke to his disciples, saying, this is, this is the eleven now, because of Judas, having gone and hung himself. All authority has been given me in heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Remember, it's not just go and make disciples and baptize. It's teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. A promise. New disciples um, and a kingdom. Right? One theologian said the Great Commission is the application, and this is, I think, what you're getting at, the application of the cultural mandate in a fallen world to a fallen human race. Um, <clears throat> there is a degree to which the earth can be subdued, but it will be for man's glory and not for God's glory if we don't have faith, if we have not come alive to Jesus Christ. If we, are able, if we are to fulfill the cultural mandate or the creation mandate, men's hearts are first to be subdued to God before the earth can ever truly be subdued to them. You understand, this is the way authority works. Always. If you want others under you to respect you, and yet you are always shaking your fist at those above you, you will never, you'll never have it. You may have it in form, formally, but you'll never carry really any real weight of authority with people because they see that you aren't willing to be under it yourself. So the example you're setting is rebellion, even if you're calling those under you to follow you. It's this way with God too, right? The earth can never be truly subdued unless we have been subdued by God. And actually, I'm, I'm, you know, we, there's so much content here that we could talk about. You, but you think about you think about the contributions of Christians throughout history to subduing the earth. And you recognize that it was Christians that are at the center and at the forefront and the beginning of many of the things that are out there now that are a source of blessing to the world. Whether it's, whether it's hospitals, right? right? Which come, came from hospitalers, right? Which was a, a division of sort of like deacons in the church back in history. Or whether it's adoption. You just think of many of these things and you recognize throughout the ages these have been things that have started, been started by Christians. Right? You think about education. Okay, so we could, there's a lot of uh, snags in your sweater this morning, I hope, that you can just think about after you leave here. Right? Things you remember and as you read the Bible and think about history, you go, oh yeah, there's a connection there. Um, so these this is how these two commandments uh, work together. The Great Commission brings about a transformation of people so that they can go and fill the earth and subdue it to the glory of God. Okay. Uh, the Great Commission has the same three elements we've already mentioned, just as God blessed his people after the work of creation. So Jesus blesses his people after the, the work of his new creation. You recognize that. When he, when he was resurrected from the dead, he gives this command. It's sort of yoked to God's completing of this, his work on the sixth day and creating of man, the creation of man. Okay. All that we do must be done so that the world may be filled with believers and that these believers may subdue 
I'm sorry, and so that these believers may be subdued to obey God's commands. Whatever. Forget that I said that. That's a bad sentence. Okay, so what does the church do? Uh, we started by saying, you know, what does the church do? What are the tasks of the church? And we started up really high. We obey the commands of God. Can't come down a little bit. Okay, there's these two commandments that kind of stick out in Scripture, the creation mandate, the Great Commission. We see how they're yoked, um, but we are going to descend further now. Okay, so what does the church do? Um, I think it's important that as we think about the work of the church, not just this morning, but over the next few weeks. We're not going to talk about this every week, but I think that it's something that we should recognize and have color our thoughts as we think about the nature of the church. We live in a day that is unbelievably individualistic. The church is not individualistic. We talked about that last week. Jesus didn't come, he did come to save each one of you and me personally, but that wasn't what he came to do. He came to save a bride. He came to win a bride. He gave his life for the bride. So Christianity, yes, we all have a, a, a we have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ ourselves. We don't get saved just by coming to church. But Christianity is not just about you as an individual. It is corporate. The church is corporate. It's not just a space where we can all come with our little individualities and sit and, and, and get parked and listen to a sermon and then leave. The church is an organism. It's a living, breathing body, right? So we live in a day, though, that is very, very individualistic. What are some examples of, of the way in which we prize individuality today? There are, real, there are tertiary examples of this, and there are deep-seated, like, straight-to-the-core examples of this, and they're both fairly easy to see. What are some ways in which we, the, um, the, the individuality of Americanness shows itself? I mean, I think that the groundwork was laid in the old pull up your bootstraps and bup, 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 you know, it goes back that far. Yeah, Steve? Okay, denominations. But let's, okay, that's, I think we see, I, I, I'm with you. Um, but let's not just keep it in the church. Let's go beyond the church. Tessa, what's, what's an example of some, you know, individuality being prized. Come on, it's all over the place. Okay, yeah, there's, there's, everything is subjective, right? There's no, there's no objective truth, right? Everyone is entitled to have their own objective truth that they hold as long as it doesn't ever conflict with anyone else, right? And that's, that's when you have an issue. Okay, so nothing is wrong. Yeah, what else? Okay, it's all about you. Yeah, okay. Um, and that goes back to, you know, what we said. Maybe, maybe this was last module, but even like survival of the fittest, right? It's about what I can do. Yes, uh, yes, Jason. Um, like when people embrace being an introvert instead of an extrovert. I'm going to focus on myself because I don't like people. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Or, or if, when people, ne yeah, just give themselves a pass on doing anything with people because they excuse that, oh, I'm an introvert, so I don't need to do that. Yeah? Well, just how it used to be, like, big front porches, and everybody knew each other, everybody was friends, and 
sure. So that's a real practical example. The example I had written down was ear pods. I mean, seriously. Like, it just goes so deep. You know, it's everywhere. You don't really recognize it. You know, I'm not saying ear pods are wrong. I'm just saying that we live in a world where everyone has their own theme music. And they go through life to their own theme music. Right? Um, or, um, You were listening to a podcast right now? <laughs> you say you have one in? Oh, transparency mode's on, all right? Uh, oh, okay, okay, you can hear what's going on, okay. These Sunday school classes go so much chiller if I've got a slow beat in the background, you know? I just, I, I nod right along, you know? Every week. All right, so, I like, the things I thought of were sis, like, like very tertiary and like, you know, but like ear pods. Or like the fact that Microsoft 365 gives you like 50 options for how you want to customize the color of your header so it speaks to you. And so you just feel nice and cozy. Are those things wrong? No, but they represent how deep the culture is and about Eunice, right? Eunice. Eunice, not Eunice in the Bible. Eunice, okay? For every language teacher in this room, Luke. Don't laugh at me. Um, sexuality. Nobody said that, but that's like to the core of who we are, right? I like to go by they. Okay, but, but this, is, this is where we're living. Everything is about the individual. We are so individualistic. So when we think about the creation mandate, individualism tends to be the main lens that we approach it through. How can this be seen? Well, it can be seen in a few different ways. Um, there are some that get all bollocked up and contorted on in, their organs are like all contorted on the inside because they believe in order to be obedient to what Jesus Christ says, it means that they need to go and do something. They need to go to the ends of the earth. But that doesn't seem like it's where God's placed them and what do I do? Blah, 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 and they end up on a wine-wham trip or something. Uh, um, or... Or, and of course, well, let me just say, of course Jesus isn't saying that we all have to go to the ends of the earth. How do we know that? Well, Paul, who's an apostle, who heard from Jesus and did go, often didn't call others to go with him. He, he wrote in Romans and said to the Romans, he, he asked for their support, but he didn't say, come on with me. That's not biblical, that idea that everyone has to go, right? I don't think people here believe that, but there are some that do. So I'm trying to say how many people view the Great Commission in a very individualistic way. Um, another way that people view it in, in an individualistic way that we might be more prone to is we think that because others are engaged, we don't need to be engaged. That's individualistic, right? Well, they're doing it. I don't have to. That's, it's not for me. So it's the inverse of what I just said. Um, or maybe commonly... Um, and this is the one I think that we might be most prone to. We hear Jesus' words in Matthew 28, and essentially all we, the way we interpret them is our own personal evangelism. And I'm not undercutting personal evangelism here, um, but what I want to say is that while we are all to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, that's what First Peter Two says, we must remember that the Great Commission was given to the church collectively. 
Now, I say that because there are, the church, the Great Commission is the work of the church. That's essentially what I'm trying to say. It's not the, it's not the work of just a missions organization. It's not the work of a parachurch organization. The Great Commission was given to the church. And so it is, a, it is what we are to do corporately. Now, having said that, we aren't to just sit back and say, well, I'm glad it's a corporate thing, so, you know, Randy can do it. I don't need to, right? I work in the church. Who am I going to evangelize? You work at St. V's. <laughs> You're around more non-Christians. It must be your gift. You know, that, you, know, you know what I mean? Like, that's stupid. It is, we are all individually part of the church, but it is the church's task. Any questions on that? Okay. Um, Jesus commissioned the apostles to do the work of the Great Commission. The 11 men that were his disciples, those men were to, be, to carry out this work. We have a first-hand account from the Bible of how they went about carrying out the Great Commission. And it says in Acts, this is, this is the first-hand account. Listen. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. This is, the, this is what's happening in the churches that are being started as a result of the Great Commission. They are continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many signs and wonders were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and their possessions, and they were sharing them all as anyone may have need. I want to highlight verse 42 one more time for us. It says in 42... Acts 2.42, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer. What I want to say is the first believers on the day of Pentecost, for them, for these believers, life centered on these four devotions, on these four things. These were the devotions of the church. This was the apostolic embodiment of the Great Commission's initial spark. How would I rephrase that? Um, Jesus gave the Great Commission to the apostles, and they go out and, boom, this is what it starts looking like. Now, you might be wondering, though, what these four things has to do with the Great Commission. I, I, I want to help draw this out. Um, look at the fruit of the church that lives like this. I want to continue reading from Acts. We started in 42, 2.42, now we're going to read 46 and 47. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and the breaking of bread from house to house, they were making their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people and... Does anyone know how that verse ends? And the Lord was adding daily to those that were being saved. That's the connection. That's the connection. Am I saying that you aren't to speak with your coworkers about Jesus Christ? Absolutely not. Am I saying that, that we aren't all to live lives where 
you know, yeah, have a conversation with somebody about Christ. No, our lives should be overflowing with the joy and gratitude and praise for God. It's not just like, okay, I'm, it's not like lighting a cigarette. Well, it's about that time. I'll take five, you know. <laughs> you know, uh, here's my little evangelism for the day. Uh, yes, you have to open your mouth. Yes, you have to talk with certain people individually. But your lives should be testifying to the glory of God, to the fact that you believe him, to the fact that you know his word. To the fact that when you obey him and live his word out, it's good. And even when it doesn't feel good, you have faith and joy and people see that and hear that. So I'm not speaking against any of that, right? I'm, I'm, but what I'm saying is, is the church, we see the fruit of the apostles here. The, the initial fruit of the Great Commission in Acts 2. And we see what it looked like in their life. And we see that when the church is living like that, faithfully, in obedience to what Jesus commands with the unity that he prayed for in, in John 17 and the love, people are being added daily to those being saved because they want that. What is that? I have no idea how they can live like that, but I'd like some of that. I'd like to know what they know. I'd like to know who they know. Wow. What do you think, baby? Should I leave the... Uh, the, the preaching for next week is five minutes. <laughs> okay. Um, so to recap, we started by asking what the work, the task of the church is, and we said at a very high level that the work is to obey the commands of God. Then we start focusing in. We see the Great Commission. And as we keep zooming in, we see firsthand that the work of individual bodies of believers, uh, what, what the work of these bodies of believers looked like in the Great Commission. We see that the Bible says that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Their lives were devoted to those four things. And I guess for the sake of time, I don't know what this does to the rest of the structure of this class, but I'm just going to cut it. Because if we don't, if we talk about pre, the, being devoted to the apostles' teaching right now, it's going to be 50,000 feet. And none of us like that, all right? Do we like being at 50,000 feet when the clock is running down? No. All right. Okay, so uh, what we're, how should we wrap up this? Um, <clears throat> I think that we'll just wrap up by by reading. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Um, and I guess what I'll just end by saying is um, that, was, that was good enough for the first, the first Christians. Um, is it good enough for you? That was the joy of the first Christians' lives. That's what they lived for. No one had any need because they were all sharing and loving each other and loving the Lord Jesus Christ and living in the joy of his salvation. They didn't need anything else. They didn't need anything fancy. They had all they needed. Um, is it enough for me? Is it enough for you? Or does that sort of life seem overly simplistic and sort of dull? Does that sort of life look like the, the sky right now rather than the sky at 6 o'clock this morning with the sun shining on it? Is it enough for you? Thank you for listening to Truth In Life. 
If you enjoy this series, make sure to subscribe. And remember, this is truth to live by.